0: Open your Bible, please, to the Gospel of Luke. If you're not familiar with the Bible, Luke is in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. And we are in chapter 1, verses 46 through 56 this morning. Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 56. We'll have it on the screen as well. I'm going to ask you to stand, please, right where you are. Out of respect for the reading of God's Word. (coughs) Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 56. The context here is that Mary knows she is pregnant with Jesus, and this is her response uh, in song uh, to, to uh, to this news. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped His servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham And his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. This is the Word of God. You can be seated. seated. Apparently, Marcus has been found. (laughs) He just wants to make a very dramatic. Actually, literally the opposite of who he is. Here he is. Can we thank Marcus? Come on up, Marcus. Uh, So some of you know this, some of you don't, but Marcus uh, works here at the Park District in a lot of different ways. He's also started his own non-for-profit working with youth in the neighborhood. Here's here's how I know that Marcus is part of the glue that holds the fabric of this neighborhood together. When something uh, goes wrong, uh, people call Marcus and, uh, and he just has amazing relationships with everybody in our community, particularly the young people and um, it's an honor as a church to be in friendship with you but also to be learning uh, from from him as well. So a small gift for us, and I 'd like to ask that you all please thank Marcus for all thank you not just for our church but for our neighborhood as well. I just want to say a couple of words. I don't do a lot of speaking. I always stay behind the scenes. So I just want to say thank you very much. This church is like my family. Um, it's like one community, like, it's, like the church says, one community. I mean, when stuff happens in the neighborhood, this church stands up and come out. Um, there's a lot of churches in the neighborhood, but this church always here and supporting the neighborhood and the community. So every time I turn around and see, I see this church in the forefront. And we have it's been a lot of churches around here for a long time, and I don't see them coming out like this church do. So I just want to say thank you all. Thank you. So if you don't know Marcus, make sure to get to know him. We have a gift for Miss Beverly as well, but she's already on vacation, and she could not be lured back in by the <laughs> promise of a, of a thank you gift. So we'll make sure she gets that early in the new year. Uh, so just a few, a few reflections on this passage, this song that Mary sings in response to God's incredible, surprising uh, favor in her life. Uh, there, there are things that happen to you and to me every single year. You have a birthday every single year. Some of you like to pretend like you don't have a birthday every single year. You actually have a birthday every single year. Uh, every year you have to pay your taxes. Right? Uh, every year at some point the bears are going to tank. Right? There are things that just happen every single year. And we, just, and we know they're going to happen. And they become routine. They become, they become normal uh, for us. And, and I think Christmas can become one of those things that happens every single year. And like everything else that happens with some regularity, it can become and does become normal uh, to us. Christmas is, is so normal that we can forget that there once was a time when there were people who were there. There were people who responded for the first time to the birth of Jesus. Now, of course, there were plenty of people at that time who knew the infant Jesus as simply that, an infant with a very common name who seemed to come from Pretty normal people. But there were other people, the Gospels tell us, there were other people who had a bit more information. They knew that this infant's birth was different somehow, that that the birth of this baby, that in the birth of this baby, they were seeing God's long-awaited salvation. For them, for these people with a little bit more information, this particular birth was in no way normal. Now, given how how ordinary and and almost mundane Christmas can become for us, I think it could be helpful to notice how these women and men responded to Jesus' birth. What can the different responses, by those who had some idea of the significance of this baby, what can these different responses show us about our own predictable, tame, ordinary responses? Now, the Gospels of Matthew and Luke contain the most details about Jesus' birth. So from them, a very quick survey gives us some examples of different responses to people who knew a little bit about Jesus. And what we notice very quickly is that some receive Jesus with joy, while others respond to the news of his birth with doubt and even rejection. I'm not trying to be overly simplistic here. In, in both of these two uh, different responses, there's a range of dynamic experiences. L- a couple of examples. The joy that we heard in Mary's voice, in her song, can't be confused with a, a superficial, a temporary happiness. Her experience with the announcement of Jesus' birth, her experience contains mystery, contains Fear, and it contains the very a real promise of suffering to come. Or, or take an example on, on the other side of the spectrum. Mary's relative, Zechariah, who was a priest. When he was told of the birth of his own son who would prepare the way for Jesus, he responded with cynical doubt. But he doesn't stay there. As the months progress, he comes around to accept that, in fact, this is what God is doing. And when his son is born, he bursts into joyful song. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. So again, I want to say that when we look at the folks who were there at Jesus's birth, people who were in the know a little bit at least, there are two primary responses. Some responded with joy in welcoming the child, and others through doubt and rejection. And the question for those of us who have become too accustomed to the Christmas story is simply this. What's the difference? What is the difference between those who receive Jesus with joy and those who reject him? And I think we hear the answer in Mary's song. In Mary's song, it is the humble who God is gracious to. Mary says, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Mary sings, his mercy extends to those who fear him. She says, he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. And then on the other hand, Mary's song also demonstrates that God opposes the proud. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts, she says. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has sent the rich away empty. This is what matters. This is what counts in these two different responses. Those who are humble receive God's salvation with joy. Those who are proud reject God's plan of salvation, especially when it comes in the form of a helpless baby. I think the logic behind these two different responses is not all that complicated. Matthew and Luke give us a few opportunities to see it play out. So, so for example, with Zachariah again, he's, he's humbled eventually, and he changes his response. And yet others who initially rejected a Jesus go to their grave continuing to reject Jesus. King Herod is perhaps the best example of this. King Herod, whose massive building campaigns and paranoid murders of his own family members take pride to an entirely other level. Herod opposes the news of this infant king. His violent response forces Mary, Joseph, and Jesus into Egypt as refugees. Mary records or excuse me, Matthew records Herod's eventual death in passing, as evidence that at the end of the day, God's plan will move forward, despite a megalomaniac like Herod. Is that good news for our time? I know y'all have some very specific people coming to mind. Luke in the book of Acts he similarly records the death of Herod's son as mere passing background to the gospel spread throughout the world. Now, thankfully, there are many more examples of humble women and men who received Jesus with joy. There is Anna and Simeon, faithful warriors in prayer who knew God's salvation when they encountered Jesus in the temple. There are the shepherds, These young, ostracized, and barely visible in their society. These shepherds who were granted pride of place at the stable in Bethlehem. Let's go to Bethlehem, they say, and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. You can hear the joy in their voices. And then there are the magi. Possibly they were astronomers from Babylon, Babylon who despite their wealth and their status, traveled a vast distance to worship this new king. Their great humility overcame the temptations of their wealth and their station in life. Their humility overcame cultural and religious differences. Their humility even overcame what must have been the great surprise that this new king was not born in a palace in Jerusalem. He was being housed in a small home in Galilee. In these different responses, we see why the humble can receive their Lord. They are aware of their great need. In their humility, they understand that God must intervene for them. Can we pause and just ask how viscerally true is that for us today? How many of us are aware of our profound need for God to intervene for us today? So Mary sings, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be faithful, to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. How aware of you are you of your need, of your profound, desperate need for God to intervene in your life? It is the goal of the country in which we live to make you forget your need. Because the humble know their great and terrible need for a Savior, these humble men and women receive Jesus with joy, and so he rescues them. They are filled by him, Mary says. They are lifted up by him, Mary sings. But the proud, the proud oppose this infant king. They oppose him because his birth was, threatens to unseat their own agendas and authority. They see no need for a savior. Not this kind of savior, at least. They'd probably be okay with a little bit of spirituality added to their lives. They'd probably be okay with a few religious practices that they could do on occasion to legitimize their selfishness the rest of the time. But a king, A king whose birth is announced by angelic warriors. A king whose agenda is articulated as a cosmic reversal between the rich and the poor. A king whose mandate is the completion of Israel's agenda to save and rescue the world. No, no, no. For the proud, this is too much by far. This king will require too much, and so he must be ignored, discredited, and eventually opposed. Again, how do you respond to the birth of God's Son? Here we have a helpless infant born into poverty and imperial occupation. And despite the soft focus filter we put on to the nativity, this child will grow into the one who calls our allegiance to God into sharp contrast. Follow me, he says. And the implication is that everything else must be left behind. Sell everything, he says, in a way that is probably less metaphorical than you and I would like to believe. Let the dead bury their dead, he says. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. This is embarrassing stuff. Given the surprising... And again, almost embarrassing way that God enters our world and given the completely alternative kingdom of heaven life that Jesus invites us into, it should by now be clear that only the humble could receive Jesus with joy. Only the humble can receive Jesus with joy. The rest of us are faking it. Only those who are humble could receive this kind of king and be glad about it. The proud will, of course, reject him. His arrival is undignified. And his call is too costly. Mary's song shows us who will welcome her son and why. Who will reject her son and why. But her son also reveals what happens to the humble who accept their savior with joy. Her song also shows us what happens to the proud who reject him. The humble find that their hope and faith have been well placed. They are lifted up. They are saved their lives are given meaning and dignity that cannot be co opted or stolen by this world. Amen? Amen. The proud, on the other hand, because they do not receive their Lord humbly, will finally be humiliated by Him. Zechariah is humiliated when his speech is taken from him, when he doubts the angel's word for him. He's left in humiliating silence to consider God's surprising way of salvation. The Herods, despite all of their accomplishments, are remembered today for their neurotic egos. They become the examples of all that is wrong in the world. They are best recalled as wallpaper to what God was doing in this world. And, and, and I, I want to be very clear about this. The humiliation experienced by those who reject Jesus is not the result is not the result is not the result of a petty vindictive and insecure god. It is rather the natural consequence experienced by those who oppose the very essence of God's redemption in the world. Because you see it's not that humility is some arbitrary prerequisite for our salvation. No, our humility places us within the very heart of God's presence in the world. This is what Paul writes. And Jesus, being found in appearance as a man, humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, God's entire project of salvation in our world is contingent on God choosing to become humble. Of God himself humbling himself. Author Brennan Manning puts it this way, reflecting more on this particular season. On a wintry night in an obscure cave, The infant Jesus was a humble, naked, helpless God who allowed us to get close to him. Our humility in response to the birth of Jesus is an imperfect but essential reflection of the humility of our God. the only one in the universe with the rationale for pride instead chose humility so that we could know and be known by God so that we could love and be loved by God. It all hinged on God's humility. and So church, please do not let the birth of our world savior be normal to you this year. Please remember your great and your desperate need for a savior. Humble yourself with Mary. Humble yourself with the shepherds. Humble yourself with the magi. And if if you find this all humiliating, This old and strange and somewhat embarrassing story of God enfleshed as helpless, dependent infant. If you find it humiliating, let even this turn you to the humble God who for us and for our salvation chose the humiliation of our humanity. Amen. I'm going to pray, ask the worship team to come forward. Lord, would you humble us today? Would you humble us today in the face of a otherwise humiliating story? Would you humble us today so that we could say and sing confidently with Mary, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. and So from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Would you humble us today so that we could sing and proclaim and rejoice with Mary that our God has intervened for us, that our God has rescued us, that our God has lifted up. Would you rescue us from our pride? Would you rescue us from our self-centeredness? Would you rescue us from our arrogance? In, in, In ways that will be completely unnatural and foreign to the society we live in, God, would you make us a people who live desperate lives for you? A people who are quick to confess our need for a Savior. A people who can live with a sense of awe and wonder that the God of the universe, the holy, the righteous, the perfect God became humble to a a manger, to a cross for us and for our salvation. And so, our Lord Jesus, we pray that you would draw us near to you today. You who drew near to us, you who did not let any humiliation of our humanity be too much for you. Would you draw us near to you today so that we could celebrate with joy, so that we could welcome with joy the arrival of our King. name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.